Shane. You always had a situation in a big way, man. express myself sometimes when i need to be properly different fuck and welcome to the lockdown tonight is one not to be missed we've been away for a little while we've come back and uh, we've got a very very interesting guest with us tonight uh, we have dr ken ken's inverted commas because uh, that's not his real name uh, we're using a pseudonym for him tonight protect his identity uh, and protect the, the, the innocent people person he is so he spent 20 years cheerfully working in the nhs at the coalface frontline uh, and he's still currently uh, going to work risking the COVID-19 infection, which uh, I'm guessing we're going to discuss tonight, uh, partially to escape the kids, kids, but I'm not. I'm sure that's not completely true. Um, he's missing the gym and uh, and, a, and a little bit of time down a pub, uh, but he won't be rushing back to either as he can tell us uh, how serious the situation is at the moment. Uh, he's still a GP, actively working in the north of England, and uh, we're going to have a chat with him tonight. Welcome, Ken. How are you? All good, thank you. Thanks for coming on. Um, and hello, Kerry, George, Adam, the other guys that are joining us tonight. Um, hello, Dave. We've, we've had a little bit of a hiatus. We've been off for a little bit and there's been loads of developments, but we're going to kind of not recap tonight because uh, we want to have a chat with our guests. But... Um, but yeah, so tell us a little bit about yourself, Ken. Where, where did you where did your career start? How did you get into medicine? What took you down that route? <laughs> so when you're doing well at school, you have the careers evening, don't you? And um, they don't really look at you and say, what's this dude going to be good at and give you good careers advice? They say, what's going to make the school look good? So they tell you to go off and be whatever, a, a lawyer, a doctor, a dentist. If you like scientists, sorry, if you like sciences, they recommend that you go off and do medicine. Um, and if you like maths and things, they recommend that you go off and do economics or, or law or something like that. So, um, yeah, I decided I quite like to help people and I'm quite a nosy character and uh, I'm a bit of a scientist and figuring out how the human body works, really quite interesting, but um, you make decisions when you're 18 and you haven't got the foggiest idea what they actually mean for your future career. I kind of wish someone had told me to go and work out how to code, code video games or write <laughs> mobile phone apps or something like that. Is, um, is medicine hey, like everybody else's career? Is it something that you go into probably not knowing exactly what you're going to get yourself into? And then as it time goes on, it's kind of the only thing that you can do. So you stick with it. Is that, oh, I'm is stuck that, now. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a one-trick pony now because um, although I've got a lot of transferable skills, I'm a bit long in the tooth to be going off and uh, retraining to go and work in the city or something like that. The graduate programmes will take you in a bank or whatever, but I'm far too old for all of that partying and nonsense. So, yeah, I'm kind of, kind of stuck with it now. 
can't match my income. My preferred job, to be honest, would be a zookeeper. Um, but that that wouldn't really pay the bills. So I'd quite like to go and look after some koala bears or some monkeys or something like that. But it's not on the cards, really. Hey. You know what I mean? Are we losing Dave again? Yeah. He's turned into a Dalek. (laughs) (laughs) Dave, can you hear us, Dave? Dave, can you hear us? Should we forge on until he gets back? Can everyone else hear me? <laughs> I can hear you, yeah. Adam. Yeah. Dave's, Dave's internet. Oh, goodness me. I'll take over Well, until Dave comes back. Sorry, Ken. So you'd rather be a zookeeper, but you're stuck in the medical profession. What exactly do you do? Um, I work as a GP. GP. So for the, everyone knows what a GP is, but could you explain to us what a GP is? Um, you, you're the general workhorse and dog's body. Of the, um, general practice does about 90-odd percent of the work and patient contacts for about 7% of the budget, um, which is pretty amazing. And uh, we've got a, an interact with the government. Um, they renegotiated it about 10 years ago or something like that. And... Um, it allowed a little bit more money to the GPs who were on a final salary pension scheme and about to retire. But there was a little Trojan horse in the contract that said um, the NHS are allowed to unilaterally renegotiate the contract with three months notice. So um, since then, they've just been gradually piling on as much work as they possibly can. Um, and we've been getting on with it. But to be honest with you, you do, you do a load of stuff. A lot of preventative healthcare, a lot of minor illnesses, and your kind of your main job is to be a, I don't know, help patients navigate through life and illness and the NHS, make sure they get to the right place at the right time. Um, and my job would be a lot easier if people would just stop poisoning themselves with drugs and alcohol um, and eating far too many carbohydrates and getting really fat. Um, I'd be out of a job if people started living healthily. We're trying, but it doesn't seem to be working. It's exponentially more consultations every year and slightly less doctors. So it gets a bit tense, you know, because you, you're just working flat out. And, yeah, there's more jobs to do than there is time available. Plus, the drugs companies keep inventing clever drugs to teach to treat illnesses that don't really need treating or, yeah, it's... So the, job in the, the world, conspiracy, so very hard working, very um, under a lot of pressure. There's a lot of um, yeah, everyone grafts, don't they? But um, the yeah. problem is you're trying to make complex decisions under time pressure. Imagine um, you were, you know, a pilot in a plane, um, and the air traffic control were like, no. Land now, land now. Don't don't be messing about checking those dials. Just get on with it. Um, you, you're flying by the seat a lot of the time because you you do you are under that time pressure. And you it's really hard to be um, safe 
at the same time as being seen to be sympathetic and um you know quite often you just if you take the time to do all of those things then you're going to be overwhelmed so it, it, it's a tough gig but best job in the world it's just adverse circumstances unfortunately yeah is there pressure for you know a lot of conspiracy theorists out there often tell me about doctors ah they're just hooking everyone on drugs getting people dependent on you know i don't know if the opiate situation is as bad over here as it is in america but there's a lot of pain pill abuse and a lot of um antidepressant sort of people that are on i I know loads of people that are on antidepressants and so in the a lot of that comes from america yeah um where they've got a private healthcare system and doctors often get kickbacks for prescribing certain medications um the drugs companies have known full well how addictive opiates are and they have marketed them aggressively to make sure as many people as possible get put on them um opiates it's okay to quickly talk about that because it's a big yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a big thing so there are really 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 shitty drug um number one they make you feel nice number two they are actually quite a good painkiller but with long-term use it's bad they block the pain receptors and your body develops a tolerance to them so they stop working and if you stop them you get withdrawal symptoms and not only that you need more to get the same effect And the final kick in the nuts is that they actually increase your pain levels. They make your body more sensitive to pain. So you've got something that doesn't work that you need to take more and more of to get the same effect. If you stop it, you get sick and actually it makes the pain worse. Um, So it's a drugs company's dream, but for society, so yeah, opiates are they're becoming a big problem in this country. Prescription drug dependence is, is starting to increase. We normally follow America in all of that sort of thing. But no, doctors don't get um we don't get kickbacks from drugs companies and stuff. And ever you know, there's lots of national guidelines and local guidelines about what we can and can't prescribe. And it's the other way around. We're continually getting bashed on the head for prescribing things that are expensive or when there's a cheaper alternative, for example. Um, but the conspir- there was loads of lunacy conspiracy theories about coronavirus, and um, yeah, it's it, it's really yeah. It, that's why I avoid things like um, Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. And now a few of my students were telling me about TikTok. That seems to be the new hotbed of complete <laughs> lunacy. Um, yeah, <laughs> so I just I, yeah, I tend to avoid social media in that respect. I find it too. Um, my faith in the human race is already at quite a low ebb, but um, yeah. the people who are at the, at the dodgy end of the spectrum seem to end up on social media, so I try to avoid it if I can. Yeah, is, good is advice. That, is that a bit of a common occurrence in practice? Do people often come in with a problem and sort of maybe reference something they found on social media or Instagram or something to that effect? Maybe some sort of self-diagnosis or something to that effect? I don't mind that so much. Do you know what I mean? You research how to unblock your toilet or how to fix your car on on Google, don't you? But um, unless you know what you're looking for, a little bit of knowledge can just scare the pants off you. Um, 
so people generally come in terrified um you get the occasional person and they say oh i read something in the paper so the first question i ask them is was it the daily mail (laughs) (laughs) and if they just tell them that it's not true i don't even get them to tell me what it is I just tell them it's not true and that the only thing the Daily Mail is fit for is the toilet paper crisis. <laughs> we lazy, <laughs> lazy. No, they're lazy journalists, man. They, they, they just pick one thing and say it's the best and the next week say it's the worst and scaremonger and they cause so much damage because it's such a widely circulated yeah. newspaper. Um, yep. I think they must just be a bit thick, the journalists, to be honest with you. Because you don't have to think much about the headlines to actually scratch beneath the surface and realise what's nonsense and what's not. Daily fail. Yeah, daily fail. Oh. Dave, are you back? Are you back, Dave? Are you back? I think can see, no. we can see him, but we can't hear him. Yeah. I wish my kids were like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, put one finger up if you can hear us. It's quite a good freeze (laughs) You're like frozen. Did you see that? You're like moving dead really fast. We're we're experiencing uh, technical difficulties with Dave. (laughs) Oh, he's there now. I can see him. He's put one finger up. Guess which finger? (laughs) So, Ken, one, one question I've always wanted a medical man to answer. And none of my esteemed colleagues have enough education. So I used to love WWE, I still do, WWF wrestling, you know, WWE, all that kind of stuff. Ah, The Undertaker. Yeah, all those boys. Now, back in the day, they were all heavy, heavy drug addicts. And the drug of choice, they call it a soma. Now, it's some kind of muscle relaxant. Um, I think it's banned now, but it used to be on prescription. Have you ever heard of that over here? It's probably got a different name. But they used to call it somers. What is benz- that? They're probably benzos of some variety, like Valium yeah. and Xanax and all of that. Yes, business. yeah, yeah, yeah. Similar. Yeah, similar. Love the tra- they lo- they love the tranquilizers, the Americans. Yeah. Um, but they're again, they're horrible drugs because they're amazing. They're so good for anxiety. They make you feel so calm and chilled out. But within a week or two of taking them, you become tolerant and start getting addicted to them. Yeah. And again, need more and more to get the same effect and then get withdrawals. So they're highly addictive. And there's tons of Americans, well, and patients in the UK, long-term sleeping tablets can sleep. <laughs> yeah. And they all refuse to stop them. And it's like, well, what? You're telling me you can't sleep and you're on sleeping tablets. That's common because they stop working. We know this. So kind of you'd be better off not on them. And the worst thing about benzos, weird bit of research, with long-term usage, when you're old, they double your chance of dying from everything. Yeah, that's crazy. All cause mortality. You're basically twice as likely to die. Um, and even when faced with that, some patients still want to keep on taking them, which I find a bit weird. Yeah. Uh, another topical question before we get to our good questions. Um, we're all sort of amateur sportsmen 
but uh, we're around a lot of people that do it as a full-time profession. And there's a lot of steroids, a lot of steroid abuse. It's become um, normal, hasn't it? Yeah. Have you seen much of that when you're in your practice? People with problems and issues from it, or because um, I, you know, my personal views, uh, testosterone. If you're low on it and you can get it, and it's done safely, I personally think that's okay. But I'm not a medical professional. Um, I think it's just um, just doing weight training in itself increases your natural testosterone levels mm. and a lot of it depends on your body type mm. um, if you're an ectomorph or something like that you you don't produce a huge amount of testosterone in response to heavy exercise um, so yeah i don't know putting something into your body that's not meant to be there that's a hormone yeah. is generally not great some of yeah. the lads i used to train with when i was at university they were bashing in growth hormone insulin aspirin as well as the steroids. Um, That's crazy. So, you know, in America, they've got obviously got testosterone replacement therapy. That's a big thing, you know, for the sort of de-aging um, industry yeah. over there. Is, yeah. that, is that common over here or is that sort of a still like we're behind with that regard? No, no, you can, you can prescribe it. But again, for an older gentleman, being a bit low in testosterone is natural and normal. But again, the drugs companies, you call it disease mongering. They basically invent something that's not actually an illness and give you a drug for it and charge you lots of money. Um, but in America, because it's consumer led, you go and ask your private doctor for it and either your health insurance or you pay for it. So it's quite easy to get things like that on the go. Um, you give it to ladies who've passed the menopause sometimes as well to help with libido and things like that. I guess the main issue when you're younger is um, same with long-term usage of any steroids. It, it's what it might be doing to your heart and your liver, your testicles, your skin, your psychological state. But having said that, tons of people use it and get by okay. We don't see a lot of sick people due to steroids in general practice. Um, but you can spot you can spot someone who's a heavy user because there's a certain muscle bulk that you just can't get naturally um and i always ask patients about it to be fair if they look like that because it's important to know um but because it's not technically illegal everyone just cracks on don't they it's um yeah very common can i jump in is my audio working we can hear you dave we can hear you back in the game right let's cut this shit out Let's cut this shit out again. Let's get to COVID. Ooh. What the fuck are we been talking about? All this shit no one cares about. Let's talk about. It. So, what is your what is your appraisal of the current COVID situation? Uh, it, it, let me just start at the beginning um, with this sort of thing because Teddy's rude as fucking it. No, no, I'm holding time for him, and he comes on like Beanie Bid bollocks. Just jumped in. Just jumped I in. Prefer, come, I prefer him better rest. when he was frozen. Unbelievable. What the fuck? What a fucking motherfucker. Fucking fuck. How serious is the COVID situation, Ken, from a, from a GP's frontline um, opinion? What, you know, what is the seriousness level of this uh, pandemic I mean, at the moment? The, uh, What's the sort of level of threat as we speak? Yes, absolutely. 
Yeah, there's not that much about it at the moment. Um, the latest government figures, you've got you've got to take it all with a pinch of salt because we've not been testing huge random samples of the population. They reckon it's about one in 1,700 people may have it at any one time. Um, so there's not a huge amount about it at the moment. But having said that, after the beach parties um, and when the pubs reopen and everyone just goes out and gets slaughtered and slobbers and coughs all over each other, I suspect in another month we'll have a good going second wave to be cracking on with. Um, fingers crossed we won't because the testing and tracing will work. But um, basically what we needed to be doing is what the start of it all in February but they had the pants down, didn't they, the government, and they hadn't actually bought any tests or um, commissioned any services to test and trace. So they just did the old um, cross the fingers and hope for the best, which, looking at the worldwide stats, has proven to be a bit of a stupid idea. Not as bad as the Brazilian president, who literally <laughs> stuck his fingers in his ears and went la, la, la. But um, it wasn't a bad second place. What 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 is the so just to contextualise that very quickly, if it's one in seventeen hundred at the moment, what was it at its height? Do you think what was the what was the we ratio of people? You know, we don't, we don't know just because there was no know. testing. Yeah, and that's that's yeah. crazy, isn't it? Because you think in these situations, it's almost a government's prerogative to know what they're dealing with. And the only way we would have known what we were dealing with is to test on mass, isn't it? That that would have been t to know the weight of the situation. Don't forget, though, we're a small country and our manufacturing infrastructure is pitiful compared to other huge countries like Germany. We don't make our things ourselves. Um, the pharmaceutical industry has stepped up. Um, and has been providing tests and research and vaccine research and stuff. But right at the beginning, um, even just getting our hands on the chemicals that we needed to make reagents for the tests and the research was quite tough. So um, I think there was a lot of different things at play. Um, and also the government didn't seem very responsive or very agile in making things work. They were more obsessed with getting um, money to Dyson that great British entrepreneur who's now got all of his factories not in the UK. Um, they were more busy lining his pockets to produce some ventilators that we didn't really need. Just smoke screens to um, cover up the fact that they were very ill prepared. And, and there was a, there was a, I mean, talking about smoke screens, the ventilator issue was a little bit of a smoke screen, wasn't it? I mean, how effective was the ventilation ventilation of a patient? And is that a practice that is still currently going on to in, in relation to uh, well, helping someone recover from COVID? Ventilation is quite interesting because every time you have a general anaesthetic, you have a muscle relax on a ventilator for however long the operation is. And by the end of it, your lungs might have collapsed a little bit, um, but normally you just make a full recovery. Um, when you get ventilated because you've got something like asthma or pneumonia, you're getting the work of the lungs taken over just long enough for your body to get better. And even then, you don't normally do too bad afterwards, but coronavirus is a, 
particularly nasty disease. Um, well, the actual virus is SARS-CoV-2 um, and the illness is COVID-19. So the, the COVID-19 illness is particularly nasty and it makes your whole body inflamed when the virus gets into your cells it causes inflammation and it's not primarily a chest complaint. It inflames your blood vessels, your kidneys, your liver. It also causes something really nasty called acute respiratory distress syndrome. And that's basically when your immune system goes bonkers and produces too much inflammation. And as a result of that, your lungs get all inflamed and soggy and your oxygen levels drop. Um, the treatment for that historically would be to go on to mechanical ventilation but what they found with coronavirus was that actually ventilating mechanically on intensive care for a number of patients wasn't the best thing to do um i think in italy they ventilated tons they put loads of really old frail people on ventilator yeah have gone there and they also ventilated a lot of people who'd have been better off with a slightly different treatment um and there was a tipping point where we realized that if you nurse the patients on their front and you use something called CPAP, which is a non-invasive ventilation that is made, um, you actually wear a face mask that is strapped on and it forces air into your lungs that way while you're awake, that works better. And the plus point of that is that you're not um, sedated, you're not going to lose muscle bulk because you're paralyzed for several days or several weeks and you don't have as big a collapse of the lungs and lung injury from the ventilator so actually ventilators in the end for um, COVID-19 have not been the be-all and the end-all and the nursing prone and using the non-invasive ventilations actually been the thing that's been helping patients a lot more. Um, but yeah, it, the ventilators are nasty as well. You know, you, you end up um, with ventilator-induced lung injury in about 10% of cases, stress wow. syndrome. And basically all the little air sacs in your lungs get burst and inflamed and knackered, for want of a better description. Um, plus, you've lost maybe a week or two of your life. You don't remember yeah um it's a traumatic experience and there's well documented ptsd um in patients who've been on itu you often need long-term psychological support and also there's things like you know survivor guilt if you've survived a life-threatening illness and maybe some family members or friends have died and and with coronavirus being on itu with no friends and family able to come and see you and stuff I reckon that will massively increase the psychological strength. Um, so yeah, ventilators for COVID, mixed results and the non-invasive stuff seems to be better in the end. So all of the dancing around trying to buy ventilators when they should have been making tests, it's easy to say with hindsight, isn't it? But with hindsight, they might have been better off making some more tests. Do you think, do you think we should have, do you think the government, I mean, it's probably easy for me to say, what do you think the fundamental, from someone who's been working in the NHS and seeing it for real on the front line, what do you think some of the fundamental mistakes that were made that has left us as one of the worst countries for deaths in the world? So 
successive governments have done the best to dismantle the NHS. Um, Labour started it. Um, the Conservatives ki- continued it and are probably going to finish it off. Um, it's, it's basically mostly privatised now, the NHS. They tried to turn it into a market where people would negotiate and compete with each other um, and not just be one government-owned body. So that's really the, was the death knell of the NHS because it creates agencies. Um, the government screwed with public health Public Health England. Um, So Public Health England are the people who would work locally to test and trace infectious diseases um, and spot outbreaks and treat them and isolate the patients accordingly. But again, years of underfunding and organisational change have actually made um, public health completely unresponsive. and the government had been warned about this. I'd seen a few documents where it had been flagged up numerous times that it was kind of on the, the risk register. Um, that if there was a pandemic, we'd be in serious trouble. Um, so they're probably the two biggest things. And, you know, it was supposed to have had a stockpile of PPE, personal protective equipment, um, but it was all out of date. It was all manufactured in other countries. I don't think they really put two and two together that if there was a global pandemic, countries making face masks would probably want to keep hold of them. Um, Never mind, give them to us. So, yeah, again, that had been flagged up numerous times by numerous people over the years, but it had been ignored because it wasn't seen as likely to happen or a priority. And then Which I guess madness, finally, isn't it? Because there was a, an exercise, wasn't there? Not long, I think 2017, there was a um, an exercise done, a pandemic simulation that was done, which actually <laughs> gave some very realistic figures of the impact of what a pandemic would happen. And I think shortly after that, they disbanded the um, the or, the uh, whatever you want to call it, Quango organisation, political group that would oversee a pandemic. They disbanded them, which does seem to be slightly short-sighted, doesn't it? I don't know. Well, I'll tell you what. um, In 2003, SARS, um, which was the original coronavirus that gave um, adult respiratory distress syndrome, and um, that killed a heck of a lot more efficiently than the current coronavirus Um, and that didn't really spread around the world because people died before they could get on a plane and go and spread it to another country Um, but if something arrived that was as deadly as that but maybe kept you alive for a couple of weeks and spread we'd be stuffed you know in the NHS pretty much everyone I know who's a doctor or a nurse has had coronavirus. Have you had it, Ken? Every single symptom. But then when I had a blood antibody test, it came back negative. Um, But again, the antibody test that they bought off Roach was the government have been scammed a little bit because the figures that Roach had given for the test's effectiveness are massively overrated 
the government believed right. their assessment of it, which was based on 20 patients or something. Uh, but when we've been testing the wider population, it maybe misses about 20% of um, people who've had it. So, yeah, right. I don't know. Quite George, we'd, all be dead. we'd all be dead. The, the doctors and nurses would all be dead in the first wave of anything significant. And the country would be crippled and on its knees. There's no yeah. doubt in my mind about that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. George, did you have a question for Ken? Uh, you kind of just answered it, actually, because, uh, I mean, there's two tests that I know of, you know, the standardised COVID one and the antibody tests. And I was just going to ask your sort of thoughts on that. But I suppose you've already partially answered that now. Well, it's, interestingly a bit enough, a, it, it, it's just sorry, a bit Ken, of I was a gonna, point. I was no, going to bolt okay. on to Jordan's, Jordan's question as well. Is there a point in the antibody test if we don't know if there's any immunity to <laughs> COVID-19? So... So basically, coronavirus is, um, viruses are not alive. They're just little collections of DNA or RNA in a membrane of protein and fat. And what they do is they have little proteins on the surface that match up with cell receptors in our body, attached to the cells, invade the cell, and hijack the cell's machinery to churn out new virus particles. Um, and that's how they work. And the adverse effects are generally due to the inflammation that they cause in your immune system attacking them. And in kids, coughs and colds are caused by coronavirus. So they've been around for millions of years in humans and other mammals. Um, and what we know is that for normal coronaviruses that give you coughs and colds, you might maybe get three, six months immunity off it before you're susceptible again to the same virus. Um, with that SARS COVID-1 that was the previous um, virus back in 2003, people were getting maybe 12, 18 months of immunity, they reckoned. Right. And with this one, we actually just don't know. So um, the tests that we've got are not effective. Um, if you If you're in the midst of having it, then the swab test and a blood test would probably confirm it 99% of the time. But moving forwards a few weeks or a few months later, the actual antibody test to see whether you've had it, had it I'm not sure, number one, how effective it is. Because, excuse me, if you've got antibodies, we don't know if they mean that you're immune. And if you haven't got antibodies, you might well still be immune. We just don't mm. actually know. Um, and the antibodies they test for are only antibodies to one set of proteins on the RNA virus. And it may be that you've got other antibodies that the test isn't identifying or isn't testing for. Um, but yeah, you can get a false sense of security, I think, with a positive test. But realistically, if you've had it, you probably will be immune for a period of time between a few months or a year or so. But we just, the more I've learnt about it, the more we just don't know. And it'll only be with hindsight in 18 months that we'll look back and say, oh, we should have done this, we should have done that. Um, I guess the longer one is immune for it, though, the less uh, ability it has to spread and mutate and move through the population. Would that be a correct um, assumption or not, really? 
I think it's really difficult because with viruses, they thrive by going from one host to another. So they need to not kill you long enough for you to spread it. And there needs to be enough susceptible individuals in the vicinity for you to pass it on to. Um, so at the moment, they recommend has had it, which mean that there's maybe 90% of the population who are still susceptible to getting it. Um, wow. So I personally think that until there's a widespread vaccination program, it's going to keep circulating and keep popping up. Um, the most recent research shows that kids are highly unlikely to carry it, catch it or transmit it, which is reassuring. And they're also highly unlikely to get sick or die. I think only about 5% of kids actually have symptoms. Shit. So right. um, from the children's point of view, it's less worrying. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I suspect it'll be around for a long time to a greater and, or lesser extent. And I, we're going to do a bit of myth busting later because I want to, I want to get everybody to ask you a few and some of them are going to be ridiculous. So we'll just, we'll just go with it. If it, if it's a myth, we'll just bust it. But just on that one, one thing that I do think was a myth. And I just wonder if you can confirm it was, it was, um, it was that obviously it affected the elderly and the vulnerable quite, you know, um, quite intensely and it wasn't so um so offensive to sort of the younger adults is that a myth or is that is that is that something that has been shown in time no completely if you're pragmatic about covid19 infection if you're young fit and healthy you're highly unlikely to get symptoms and you're highly unlikely to get hospitalized or die um out of everyone as a whole if you catch it we think about 20% of people get admitted to hospital. Um, if you end up on intensive care with COVID-19, you've maybe got a one in three chance of dying. Um, it's a bit of a tricky one, the death rate, because to get a proper death rate, you need to know how much virus there actually is in the community. And be um, At the moment, they reckon about 5% of confirmed cases die. So about one in 20 people with a confirmed case die. I suspect it's a lot less than that because there's hundreds of, you know, I reckon we've underestimated how many people have had it by a, a I don't know, maybe five to tenfold. I think there's been tons of it in the community. Um, but until we know how many people um, have actually had it. Um, but yeah, old folk, and I've got the figures. So coronavirus has killed about 2% of 90-year-olds in the country over and above what you'd expect um and out of the so there's been about forty-six thousand excess deaths between the beginning of march and the beginning of may Ninety thousand people were supposed to have died and actually a hundred and thirty thousand people have died in those months so it's a 50 percent increase in death um about maybe thirteen thousand of them were not obviously coronavirus, but I'm sure some of them were. Um, in care homes, so your chances of dying of coronavirus if you're over 80 are about 15%. Um, and in care homes, they, they had a year's worth of death in a couple of weeks in a lot of places. So you were seeing, wow. you know, 10, 15 people in a care home dying 
And again, not necessarily with any symptoms. A lot of people were just elderly folk with dementia are not getting symptoms. They just die. They just don't wake up one morning or get a bit confused and then don't wake up or have a heart attack or a stroke. Um, so it's not like everyone's been keeling over with pneumonia. Um, but there's some lovely graphs that you can see that the um, death, the chances of it killing you at, with advancing age are exponential once you get over 70. And if you happen to be 70 or older and a black or Asian ethnicity um, and maybe have some heart disease or kidney disease or diabetes, then your risk of serious consequences are much higher. So I can get why people go to the go to the beach and party when they're young, free and single and they're not bothered. But I don't know, I think that might have its own unintended consequences. Before we get to Adam. Hi, yeah. Can you explain to me? exactly how the coronavirus works so um my uh yeah explain to yeah, me yeah. like i'm like i'm five years old so i'll give you a little story someone walks past oh. me in tesco they've got coronavirus and they sneeze in my face what happens next so in a lot of people the coronavirus is replicating within the cells in your um mouth throat and lungs in the mucus, so it's very much on the surface. Um, and each time a cell bursts to let out more virus to go and infect other cells, some of it gets out into the mucus in your airways. And then when you cough or sneeze, you eject droplets into the air that have got millions of virus particles in them. I've seen some interest in computer simulations for clouds of Um, so are you still able to hear me? Yeah, we can hear you fine. It's Dave who's cutting out at the moment. Oh, right. Yeah, we're just trying yeah, to sort about. Can sorry, keep going. You cough out a cloud of um, spit and droplets with millions of virus particles in them, and then those little droplets can drop onto a surface and live there for a couple of days, or they can go onto someone's clothes or their face, or they can actually just breathe them straight into the nose and into the lungs, in which case the little virus particles attached to the cells, get absorbed into the cell, hijack the cell's machinery and force it to make new cells until the cell dies and bursts and lets out more virus. Um, realistically, you've got to be in close contact with someone or you've got to touch something that's got the virus on and then touch your face or your nose or your eyes um, without having washed your hands. Um, you, know, you see weird people with gloves, walking around with gloves, touching everything and then touching the face and, you know, it's not going to get into your body through your bloody hands. It's all over your gloves and then you're sticking your fingers up your nose and infecting yourself. Um, and people walking around with face masks on the mouth with the nose hanging out. I'm not sure what utility that is, really. Um, but, yeah, so, um, a, that's a real, pretty much a real, quick, a real quick one then, Ken. So a normal, healthy person yeah. with a healthy immune system, yeah. um, 
they're not compromised. They haven't got AIDS. They haven't got any sort of immunocompromised yeah. issue. Uh, healthy lifestyle. Uh, not obese. Um, if they've had around January, February time, had a bit of a cough and felt light of breath, could you could you sort of assume that they may? You know, obviously you need more more facts, but. It, because there was a it's lot. A very of... vague sentence. Could you assume yeah. that you may? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I stopped coming through your car. So um, around that time, a lot of people were were displaying no sort of symptoms. So they weren't they weren't dying. It? Oh bollocks! So, it's winter, wasn't it? So everyone everyone yeah. gets sick in winter. There's a lot yeah. more. I think doing the rounds. Yeah. Um, I think that given that the majority of people who catch COVID nineteen don't have any symptoms, I think it's impossible to draw any conclusions. To be honest with yeah. you. Uh, I had the full thing, sore throat, headache, fever, night sweats, loss of taste and smell. And then I even had a bacterial pneumonia afterwards to try and finish me off. Um, I think that was COVID-19, but the majority of people who've had it won't even know. And there's not actually a test that you can do that will reliably tell you. So, so Ken, pneumonia is obviously a big, um, a big thing with, with, uh, covid but is pneumonia for a, you know a thick a like me that's just your lungs producing loads of water and you're basically drowning in your own fluid is that is that a good description of pneumonia so your lung is like a sponge um essentially where the air is put into contact with the cells that exchange it into your blood and if that gets infected about 50 percent of pneumonia is actually caused by viruses and about is caused by bacteria. Um, And you're right, it's the combination of inflammation due to the infection with fluid leaking out of the cells and mucus being produced that causes the air to not be able to get near those cells that exchange it with the blood. And that's why you end up short of breath and short of oxygen. Um, But also with pneumonia, you can get a systemic response where you, you have septicemia and that's when your kidneys and liver and heart and brain and everything can just start being damaged by the inflammation too. So, yeah, so pneumonia is nasty for sure. And coronavirus causes not only coronavirus pneumonia, but you can get a bacterial pneumonia on the top of it. And then as a final kick in the teeth, it gives you the um, adult respiratory distress syndrome, which it quite often is what has been finishing people off. Is there a lot of, um, so even if you're not on ventilation, is there a lot of sort of long-term damage from this, from your, we don't from your know. lungs? We, we actually don't know yet. Um, after any significant pneumonia, the spongy bit of your lung can be a bit more honeycombed. You can get little holes in it, essentially, where the cells have died. So um, it may be that there is long-standing consequences, but we actually just don't know that yet. But as a rule, yeah, with pneumonia, you can have long-standing consequences. Uh, can you guys hear Am I back in the room? You're back in, son. Oh, I've got a question for you, Dr. Ken. Can I jump in with a quick question? It's Rock about on, Bane. Yeah. It's, about, it's about people from black and ethnic minorities. I was just wondering if there was any, any knowledge of why they may be affected by COVID more than their, you know white counterparts so to speak nobody actually really knows to be honest with you um there's a few things there's a higher chance of you 
living in a deprived community, especially in London, um, if you're black and ethnic minority background, um, you know, things like the Tower Hamlets and living, you know, big families in small rooms and therefore it spreads. And because of, you know, your general health's not going to be so good either. There's some thoughts about vitamin D levels being low. If you've got dark skin, unfortunately in the UK, pretty much everyone's vitamin D deficient, even though the, the people with white skin are. So if you've got dark skin and the sunlight can't help your skin make vitamin D, you're stuffed. And there's also a discrepancy in the amount of something called angiotensin converting enzyme um, between Caucasian lungs and Afro-Caribbean lungs that they've said might have some effect, but actually nobody knows. It's probably multifactorial, if I'm honest, um, but certainly middle-aged men who are South Asian or Afro-Caribbean seem to have been getting hardest hit by it. And that includes healthcare workers who, you know, are maybe not coming from a deprived background. Um, it's a hard illness, you know, so many people have had it. And if you're young, fit and healthy, it can still kill you. Mm. Even though that's not likely, you, you're trusting to look really. So, And are uh, those young people, Ken, are they, um, are they people that would have had um, some sort of underlying health condition that they may not have been aware of? Just don't, we, we just don't know. Right. Yeah. It just... It hasn't gone on long enough to get that research. Only, honestly, it'll be in, in hindsight in about 18 months. They'll look back and be able to answer that with a lot more clarity. But with every infection, you can catch the infection and die no matter what your age is. You know, any serious infection. And there might not be any reason other than just plain bad luck. Mm, mm, the genetics mm. play a massive part in all of those things, as does your lifestyle and your general health. Mm, mm. Uh, we, we never really know the answer to a lot of those questions, but um, it's important to not be too frightened of catching COVID-19 because young, fit and healthy people statistically are generally OK. The only problem is if you pass it on to someone who's not young, fit and healthy, that's when the trouble starts. Yeah, I think that that is the danger. People are selfish thinking, well, I'm all right, Jack, but they're going out and potentially infecting other people. So. Uh, that's the main take-home message, I guess, is that when the lockdown eases, everyone will be thinking, I'll be all right, but it's not them that's going to be affected by it, and that's what makes me a little bit nervous. Yeah. Can you see a second spike of this? Do you, you think there's oh, going to be yeah. a... Oh, in about oh, right. four weeks, I suspect there'll be a lot more dead people. Right. Um, as a result of people's current disregard for keeping away from each other. Right. Um, but equally, what, what's everyone supposed to do? You, you know, it's um, it's hard, isn't it? Because I completely, okay. I've been going a bit stir crazy myself, locked in the house with the, the kids and not being able to do the things I, I would normally do. So, it yeah, is tricky. of course. I, I just wonder, what do you think is going to be if there was a, a second wave? Do you think the NHS would be better equipped at handling that? With the knowledge that they would have gathered in the in the oh, first goodness. wave. So if you if you look at the um, the figures for your chances of dying with COVID nineteen, they have decreased as we've become more expert. You know, they found that dexamethasone, which is a steroid, seems to work in some patients um, at reducing death, and that's pretty much the only thing they've found so far that works drugs wise. And as I say, they've done the um, 
therapy and given them non-invasive ventilation for the most severe cases seems to work better than mechanical ventilation on ICU. The, the secret, to be honest with you, is when we figure out why some people do really badly and are more susceptible to it, and we could just concentrate on keeping them away and letting everyone else just get on with it and yeah. get infected and not worry so much. But until we have that knowledge, which I don't think we're going to have until hindsight. Yeah. Um, it's tough. And, and a vaccine, do you think there'll be a vaccine on... on and, and just generally, I'm really interested in your opinion as a GP on vaccines, um, because, you know, I'm kind of pro-vaccine. You know, I, 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 my children have been vaccinated. Um, I think, you know, it's it's something uh, that I think that, that science has come up with, that we protect each other. And it's, and it's been the protector of <laughs> many of us over the years with things like, you know, measles, mumps, rubella, obviously, um and so forth so what what do you think the likelihood is that we may come up with a vaccine and and, and do you think a new vaccine um would be safe because we you know we haven't always got it right have we you know you've got not i know if it was a vaccine or not but you've got like the thalidomide scandal that happened there that, was been, that was a pregnancy that was a drug wasn't it it was a drug for pregnancy sickness um what's interesting about thalidomide without a, too much of a chemistry lesson when you make molecules um some of them can be identical but left-handed or right-handed and with thalidomide it was actually produced as a mixture so you it's called a racemate and it's an equal mix of left and right-handed molecules and only one of them caused the birth deformities the other handed molecule was absolutely fine um, but yeah, you know, pregnancy sickness drugs, bringing a new one to market and uh, discovering it did that was pretty grim. But that was a drug rather than a vaccine. Gotcha. I can't and is there a difference? Many, I can't think of um, many proven, sustained and serious um, quantities of adverse effects from vaccines. And they're pretty much, if I had to name the single biggest health advance in the last hundred years it's vaccination mm. like mm. it was that idiot um andrew wakefield that's right with the autism he can libel me for that but he's an absolute charlatan so he's the fella with 12 other researchers who claimed that there was an association between mmr and autism and he was subsequently struck off by the gmc and he now practices in america peddling right. the mistruths to all of the Trump supporters. Uh, <laughs> so that was basically completely false. There's a lot more autism about, and there probably is some sort of environmental trigger, whether it's pesticides or, you know, God knows what, but um, it certainly wasn't MMR. And, you know, measles in 1963 killed about 3 million people worldwide every year. Yeah. And then now worldwide about 150,000 people wow. die from it and it's mostly kids under five as well um, yeah. but the scare that he created children will have died as a result you know, unbelievable and what what was the advantage for him was that was that well, this is why he got struck this is why the, this is why the bastard got struck off he said not only does it cause autism but i'll tell you what it's the combined vaccine that does it 
So don't get the MMR. I'll sell you individual vaccinations oh. for measles, mumps, and rubella. Rock on. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, and people to this day, they still ask. There's a lot of private GPs are making money out of people who just because they're still uncertain what I want in the individual vaccinations. But in the years I've practiced, you never used to see measles, but you started seeing it again. And it's a horrible right. disease it, and it kills people and it kills yeah. children and it leaves them blind or deaf or um, it's actually probably just as likely to kill. It's pro- Well, to be honest, it's much more likely to kill a child than COVID-19. Really? Unbelievable. So it's about 3%, 2 or 3% of measles cases may get seriously ill and die. And that's mostly in kids. And in coronavirus, COVID-19, it's it's a fraction of a percent. So mm. um, but anyways, you're asking about the, the, the COVID-19 vaccine. Um, yeah. What they've done. So a vaccine is basically a little bit of protein that's taken from the surface of the virus that your immune system will recognize and make antibodies to so that when the virus comes around, it's already primed to kick its ass. Um, And the actual molecule that it's bolted onto um, is the same as previous vaccines that have been extensively trialed. All they've actually done is changed the protein on the surface of it from what it was to COVID-19. Um, so the chances of adverse effects are pretty slim. Um, again, we'll only know with hindsight, won't we? Um, you can get rare reactions to vaccines where you get muscle weakness and things like that, but that's just a generic immune system reaction that can happen with any any vaccine, and obviously allergic reactions and stuff like that. But yeah, I remember my BCG felt like someone punched me to punch my arm to death. Well, that's nonsense, isn't days. it? They've stopped, they've stopped giving it now, haven't they? Because it doesn't know, work. Unbelievable. Is that one of my mates, was it nonsense, was it? It doesn't work. One of my mates um, ended up with spinal TB because his flatmate infected him with it. And um, Bloody hell. I'll tell you what. Is that, the BCG I, I, didn't work like, for him. One of the worst scars <laughs> I've got. It's like three yeah, days stopped, of pain in my arm. They've stopped, they've stopped doing it now. Is that don't. the... Is that like three, it looks like three injection points on your arm? That's it, it was like that, three three needles. You all had to stand in the line and you got it and then two days later you felt like someone had given you the worst dead arm in the world. Yeah, they, missed, they missed my school. I didn't. I, didn't, I never had it. So Weird. I think at the worst with coronavirus, they'll make a vaccine that doesn't work or the virus will mutate and the vaccine won't be effective. Right. And that's so all Ken, what, I suppose that's, that's the danger with any any vaccine isn't it it's never necessarily going to be foolproof in all cases is it that's it isn't it and hopefully that'll be the end to coronavirus and it'll get gradually eradicated but i'm not holding my breath for any sort of normality for a a long time to come right have have they got a question sorry sorry dave my signal's going funny with with the sars virus so so the original one was sars and this is basically sars 2 that's sort yeah. of the oversimplified. How, no, it's, how that's, they, it's exactly what it is. So it's like the, the the brother of SARS, whatever you call it. Is there a vaccine vaccine for SARS? I don't think they did because they eradicated it by the fact that it was very good at killing the people it infected. 
So it never really spread into a proper pandemic. So it's a bit like, well, basically, yeah, if you can isolate the cases and stop them infecting anyone else, the virus just dies out. It's got got nowhere to go. Um, But the problem with um, COV SARS-2 that that causes COVID-19 is that it's a mild illness in a lot of yeah. cases that you can spread around without even realizing. Um, so I think this will need a vaccine because it has turned into a global pandemic. Um, will that vaccination need to be, because um, you mentioned measles, so if people aren't taking, if, if the whole population isn't vaccinated, is it sort of worth doing? So if you only, say they make it uh, not mandatory, so all of the... You've got to be pragmatic with this type of thing, haven't you? And, you know, if we can identify who are the highest risk groups of getting sick and dying and vaccinate them, then if it still circulates in the community and gives people mild symptoms, it's not a big issue, is it? Yeah. Um, I suspect that they'll probably target the highest risk groups first. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure it'll end. Uh, I'm speculating because I don't know. I'm not sure it'll end up being like a measles, mumps and rubella thing where every child gets it. Um, and the other thing is that the vaccine might, excuse me, only give you a, a year's immunity or a, a few months immunity. So it might only be practical. To, like, like, So flu is different. You get a different flu vaccine every year. They guess what type of flu you're going to, what is going to be circulating and try and guess what proteins to put in the, in the vaccine. Um, it's like trying to hit a moving target. And that's like you, you guys, you, you know, the GPs. I'm, I'm obviously not. I look really old, but I'm not old. But all the over 60s or over 50s get sent a letter to get the, the flu jab every year, and that's all. To be honest, it the flu jab doesn't always work. You know, often just means you get a milder form of the illness. Yeah. Um, and if it's a slightly different flu virus that comes around, then you get no protection, or, you know, maybe less protection. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of uncertainty, but hopefully it'll get eradicated but with open borders and um yeah i'm cynical i just can't i I can't see a quick end to it all to be honest with you what's the like on a very theoretical what's the likelihood of it changing now to be uh cov3 cov4 cov5 is is that a likely sort of thing to happen the one thing i've learned through being a doctor is that mother nature is quite good at giving us a kick in the nuts, isn't she, when we get too overpopulated. So the reason why the coronavirus mutated from whatever bat to whatever mammal to whatever human is because of population density in the in the, in the markets and stuff, wasn't it? So while there's still that population density, if it's not coronavirus, it's going to be the next virus or the next bacteria or... Um, something will come and take down in a pandemic significant chunks of the population. But the bad, the thing is, the bad stuff like Ebola, it kills people too effectively for it to become a pandemic. Um, if you get something that's a bit more of a slow burner and then eventually kills you, I think that's when we'll be in some even more serious trouble. But yeah, something else will happen at some point. Who knows when or where? Um, but you know given how close together SARS-1 there's MERS as well which is the Mediterranean respiratory distress virus I think that was killing about one in three people that it infected 
you know, there's some nasty, nasty things out there. There's not, nothing in the medical profession that's saying this could be uh, a, a human-created virus, anything like that. Is a this is a big conspiracy out there that that it was genetically, you know, formed by you know some. It's sort interesting, of... isn't it? It's a bit suspicious that it happened in close proximity to a um, a laboratory that deals with such things. I, th- I think naturally, we? one has got to think there was a lot of protests in China at the time. There is a, a laboratory nearby that you know that works with uh, bacteria and and you know chemical weapons and so on and so forth. It, to be honest, I, I've got to be honest though, if if a weaponized form of this was released, it'd be much worse. Well, <laughs> you know, you'd think that though, but if someone designed if you this to, be to weapon, economically would... crush um, some countries and become an economic superpower, oh, you look, might not necessarily want to look, kill everyone. Um, if you were if you were a cynical country, you would manufacture a virus, a huge amount of vaccine, and then release it around the world, wouldn't you? And then just re- reap the rewards when the rest of the world falls to its knees. That is true. Much that more is true. than dropping bombs on people. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But no, I, from my own personal opinion, is uh, I think it's most likely come from the wet markets and population density and general horribleness that that was there um, because we see it quite frequently when viruses mutate and jump between mammals so um and not wanting to state the bleeding obvious I, I i guess this is is this why we're seeing it in greater forms in places like london manchester birmingham because they are more densely populated they have transport networks that are more difficult to maintain clean um, there's all those bloody idiots saying that um somehow a virus has managed to get transmitted by 5g microwaves oh yeah um (laughs) but it's like well hang on a second so they've rolled that out into big cities and there's loads of covid19 in big cities go figure it out you know what i mean it's uh it's big cities that are the problem not bloody 5g yeah Absolutely. Yeah, honestly, in London, there's so many tourists from all over the world and two massive airports, you know, airports, football matches. There was a pan, the pandemic was on the go in Spain and then there was the Atletico Madrid match in Liverpool. Um, I dare say there was a lot of infection spread at that point. But two airports in London, well, three airports, isn't it, if you include Luton and... Um, yeah, it, it, it really is the population density and lo- multiple occupants of multiple occupants of the same small flats and rooms and families all crammed in, living in really, you know, um, living in poverty. So, I, I guess talking not necessarily as a doctor, but just as a uh, a member of the public, can you believe we were so slow? Or we, I mean, we haven't ever actually shut our borders have we we haven't st- i mean you think the only you know advantage of being on an island is that you can stop people coming in and infecting you so to speak well, we've never done that i'm a scientist aren't i so my point of view would be if there's a global pandemic you close your borders and you aggressively try to identify anyone who's got the infection and isolate them and stop them from spreading it yeah, and, and that's exactly what we didn't down do. down the economy, closing your borders, getting the army in to quell any riots that might take place, then you should crack on and do it. 
they probably weighed up that the British public would maybe not cooperate with an early lockdown. It's almost like the public needed to be shown how bad it is before lockdown was imposed. Um, but the conspiracy theories about it all being down to money and them not wanting to harm the economy, I suspect, are probably one of the few conspiracy theories that have got a little bit of truth behind them. But equally, right. I do think they were just a bit complacent and ignored the scientific advice that they were given. And I think testament to that is that they'll not actually release the advice that they were given and tell us when it was given. Yeah. I suspect it will show that they just ignored it. <laughs> yeah, and, you, and you've got to wonder whether they're going to give themselves an inquiry afterwards. Oh, so, they will. You know, they do that with everything. Especially inquiries where we saying, don't actually learn anything at all. Uh, just, uh, but, a lot of navel gaze, and they, they, they'll make it last so long that it just... Yeah, something else will have come along to distract us by then. Yeah, it does. It does seem that the herd immunity uh, idea that Boris peddled early doors has sort of really, you know, almost come to a very um, a, a fruition in the sense. Not that you know that there is any herd immunity, but it definitely seems that that has been a, a tactic used in this sort of situation, hasn't it? It's a bit stupid, though, isn't it? Because at the end of the day, we've had 40-odd thousand excess deaths in three months. Yeah. 50% more people have died. Yeah. It's madness. And they're all people with families, often different members of the same family, um, fit and healthy young adults. It's and the people who haven't died, there's been lots of people traumatised with admissions to ICU and lots of medical people infected and also traumatised by looking after people who've not been able to see the families. And uh, Yeah, it's been a massive a callous when disregard it was a for, the, fatal disease. for the public, hasn't it? That, that's, that's the, yeah. that's the it, end result. It, yeah, it, it, I feel that it did show a a great deal of disregard for life. Mm. And the saddest thing about this virus, to be honest with you, you know, a lot of serious illnesses might be a bit of a leveler and you'll be equally as likely to die from it if you were rich or poor. But actually, mm. COVID-19 has disproportionately affected the poorest parts of the country. Right. And the poorest and, people. And why uh, is that, Ken? Is that due to population density? Is it flats and... Public yeah, it's a mixture, use. isn't it? It's you're more likely to be obese, you're more likely to smoke and drink, you're more likely to have consequences of that, like diabetes and chronic kidney disease and COPD. Um, and likewise, you are packed in like sardines into your living arrangements. You might be malnourished. You're highly likely to be vitamin. Um, your access to healthcare might not be that great. Your education might not be that great to understand what's going on or you might believe what you read on TikTok rather than what's posted um, on a. So yeah, it, it's not been a great leveler, and it's we call it the inverse care law. Basically, the people who, who are most in need of care don't get it, mm. and the people who are kind of rich and wealthy, they tend to do all right. Thank you very much. And the yeah. problem is the country's run by people in the group of. We're all right. Thank you very much. Of course. 
And Boris yeah. is just an idiot, isn't he? he? He caught it just because he was too blasé. Yeah. And uh, was holding baby showers and stuff when he should have really been um, avoiding people with his pregnant wife. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that was pretty obvious. And uh, he made a bit of a fool of himself when he was shaking people's hands and then came down with uh, COVID and seemingly had quite a lucky escape, to be honest. Um, well, he's an age group where he could have done badly. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I'm I'm sure it wasn't a pleasant time for him. Um, but again, you know, his uh, his arrogance showed through there a little bit, I'm afraid. Anybody got a, a question for Ken? Yeah. Um, what has, I mean, do you deal with 111 at all? Uh, what has the impact been like from that standpoint? Do you have any idea? You mean the impact for them or the impact for us? Uh, well, a bit of both, I suppose. One 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 do refer people to GPs via telephone. I mean, a lot of people in quarantine may be putting off going to the doctors or, you know, calling one 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 as opposed to anything. Uh, is there any impact there? Do you know? So one one one, the call operators are often not medically trained in the first instance, and it's a special intelligence computer program called Pathways. And they ask you a big, long series of closed questions that they tick boxes on the computer system and it churns out an answer of what the patient needs to do, whether it's go to hospital, go to the GP, stay at home, self-isolate, all of that business. Um, so they have picked up a heck of a lot of the coronavirus work because patients with coronavirus symptoms were getting told to stay at home and phone 111. So yeah, they can. So in general practice, in a lot of ways, we've sometimes been a little bit dis. Um, it's a bit disjointed. We've been a little bit um, distanced from all of that because a lot of the patients were getting sick and going straight to hospital via 999 or 111, and we were mainly dealing with them after they were coming out of hospital. Because even after having a hospital admission, coronavirus has been giving COVID-19 symptoms for several weeks or even months afterwards. Um, and we've been dealing with a lot of the fallout of anxiety and just general misery and ill health that's been caused by it. But yeah, 111 have, have done a decent job of picking up the slack. But it is an imperfect system and um, you do occasionally get ambulances sent out for people who've actually... Um, yeah, when people exaggerate their symptoms and say people who've got a sore throat and they go, oh, I can't swallow, that kind of sends an ambulance, flags that they have to send and be sent an ambulance. Um, but no, it's an imperfect system, but it's not not been bad. Be interesting to see what the 111 people said about it, to be honest. Um, but the sad thing is people have been waiting sometimes six 12 hours to get called back or to get through so they must have been under a fair bit of stress yeah that's brilliant thank you uh dave i think your mic's off mate i think he's talking to his, his missus okay i've got a quick question for you ken this might be controversial should we be allowed out of lockdown or should the lockdown be continued? Again, um, I can see both sides of the coin, but at the end of the day, 
there does come a point where people's psychological well-being and financial well-being do have to be taken into account. Um, the problem is the British public as a whole, trying to find the right words, they tend to see life as black and white rather than shades of grey. And they tend to not think about other people, it seems. So it's what I'm coming back to before that actually I'm sure that most people will be fine and they can all go and sit in the pub together. But it's just the fact that they might catch it and then infect someone else who might be a bit older or a bit frailer or, you know, it might be someone who's a care worker or a nursing home worker who then takes it into the care home. And if that happens, they can go ahead and lose 10, 15 people who will die. Um, so I've got really mixed feelings about the lockdown being lifted. But having said that, you know, a lot of my elderly patients have been going stir crazy, not leaving the house. And people, if you're getting physically unfit, like you guys, you know, you think about the athlete side of things, a lot of people are getting physically unfit. There's been a spike. In Tell admissions. me about it, Ken. Well, there's been loads of people getting admitted to hospital with liver failure because they've been bashing in too much booze. Um, there's been loads of people with anxiety and depression. There's been loads of domestic violence and assaults and deaths due to that. Um, you know, there's a lot of these other unintended consequences. And I think it did have to lift. And again, we can only ever answer these questions with hindsight. And the bottom line is, if they'd have done it sooner, we wouldn't be having these conversations. But again, that's only with hindsight, isn't it? Mm, yeah. But there is going to be a second wave, I would think. I really hope there isn't, and I'm proven wrong. But looking at what's been happening, <laughs> I'm not rushing out to any pub or shop or gym. I've got to be honest with you. Um, no, it doesn't it's got to be cautious, isn't it? Excite me in the people. Well, thank you, Ken. I think that's no been very insightful, actually. And I think it's definitely quashed a few myths for me. I think I've, uh, I've felt a lot clearer, actually. I think anybody who's, who listens to this is going to be a, a lot clearer on the situation. I mean, and, it's, and it's very obvious that we certainly shouldn't relax too much. But again, there is a need for us to get back to some semblance of normality if not just to maintain you know uh health mental health and so on and so forth just do you know so, so there's some sort of balance there isn't isn't there i think that that is pretty clear um guys you got anything else for dr ken before we uh call it a night i'm all good thank you no really really insightful thanks, yeah, ken. thanks ken it's been good brilliant Thank you so much for coming on uh, and really appreciate your, your uh, insight. And um, I think I speak for everyone to say thanks for all the good work you do. I know it's just a job for you, uh, but we as members of the public definitely do appreciate um, what our doctors and nurses do for us. Um, and you as GPs are frontline people, so you are literally having people coming into your practices um, so that there is a, you know, incredible amount of risk there for you, not only from COVID, from other things as well. The, um, 
I've got to say that my biggest hats off goes to the care home workers and supermarket workers and all the people who are getting forced to work in slightly unsafe surroundings. You know, we've been, you know, we've been able to do video consultations and keep people away a little bit, but just when it all kicked off, the poor people in the supermarkets, when there was crowds of people panic buying, I felt so sorry for them. And like yeah. the rounds of applause for NHS was making me feel a bit sick by the end because it was really the care home workers, as I say, the supermarket workers, the factory workers. Uh, the, there were a lot of medics taking big risks, but there was a lot of people being forced to take really unacceptable risks because they couldn't afford not to go to work. And mm. um, But yeah, it's... Uh, I think I think when you say that, and, and I think if you haven't had your eyes opened to who the important people are in society throughout this, um, you're part of the problem. You know, if you if you haven't looked to see that the binman is emptying your bins, and the person who's behind the shopping counter is, you know, getting your food uh, in your bag, and the lorry driver is getting it delivered, and all these other people that create this infrastructure for us that we literally take for granted day in day out um and and have some appreciation for those people and it and it and it i do feel i don't know if guilty is the right word i, I do feel a little bit uh, aggravated that we have such short memories for these people you know um I, I, it, it frustrates me because i think we all get back into normal life too quickly uh and we don't sort of remember um you know where we've been and like you said ken it's been a very scary time for a lot of people and those people working in supermarkets fact is they haven't been able to socially distance often they can't protect themselves they haven't had any rights to real ppe supplies or anything like that because you know that's not the job uh, spec that they're in uh, and yet they've been doing their job day in day out and you know it's uh that's a pretty big deal. Um, I'm, I'm hoping there's going to be some redress of balance somewhere along the line. I'm, I'm ever the optimist, but I'm a realist. Yeah, we just well need to be nice to it. each other. That's well, what needs to come out of it all. We just need to be nice to each other. But as you say, we've got short memories. I think that comes from a bit of gratitude, Ken. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not a begrudger of people to go out and enjoy themselves or people go to the beach and do what they need to do, you know, um, I don't own the land. It's nothing, you know, it's not my business from what people do, but some consideration for others, for those that have to do the clear up, for those who have to work and serve them and, uh, you know, uh, and manage the facilities around them. Uh, I think that would be a good start. But, you know, this is uh, modern life, isn't it? We've got we've got to carry on. <laughs> I, I, I definitely think it's an attitude that needs to be, uh, displayed from the top down, and it'd be nice if the uh, the government would show some gratitude to those workers that have been uh, putting themselves at risk throughout this. Uh, not just a little clap on a Thursday evening. That's just not good enough. But you know, <laughs> what can you do? You know, what can you do? We're going to have to maybe start a little ripple effect uh, just by showing the appreciation ourselves. I know I put a little sign on my bins saying thank you to my my uh waste collection operatives you know and uh little things like that i try and try and make my kids appreciate the uh the people that you don't see you know the people that are up before you get up those people 
But um, but yeah, and and actually, as part of that, I think the GPs and the nurses, I wouldn't feel too cringy about it, Ken. Um, we definitely do appreciate the the NHS workers and those people because it is uh, a risky job and it is a job that you can say no to. People don't have to go to work, you know. It's uh, uh, and it definitely was a scary time for a lot of people. So I think uh, the gratitude is well deserved, uh, in our opinion. I, I think so. We thank you for that um, and wish you all the best. Uh, for the future in your job and uh, hope that um, you see an ever decreasing number of all types of disease and incidents of infection <laughs> however I doubt that will happen either as well that's sort of the game you're in isn't it <laughs> <laughs> but yeah Everybody's, thanks for coming on Ken it, we much, very Cheers, much Ken. appreciate it take care take guys catch up with us next time thank you very much Ta -ta. Ciao. cheers